Adam, we had the amazing opportunity to speak with Cody Fry over Zoom video. Cody was born just outside of Chicago, and he talks about how he got into music. His dad is a jingle writer. He used to write jingles for Nintendo and McDonald's and a bunch of different commercials. So he talked about how he was able to just absorb that as a kid. He was actually in commercials as a singer growing up. If his dad was writing a jingle, say, for a Happy Meal at McDonald's, he would hire Cody and his, his three sisters to sing on the actual record. So Cody grew up in a very musical family. He went to college at Belmont University in Nashville for music. He's currently in, in Nashville now still. He talked about his time on American Idol, putting on his very first record and performing it for his senior recital at Belmont University. He also tells us all about his new record and the viral success of a song that was three years old, all due to TikTok. He'll talk all about that as well. He also talks about this amazing cover he did of Eleanor Rigby, which 500 people were a part of. You can watch our interview with Cody Fry on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. We'd love it if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Cody Fry. This is about you. This podcast is about you, your journey in music. And how you got to where you are now. Um, and I'd love the Eleanor Rigby cover you put together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of shocked because it's kind of exploding right now. I, I mean, you know, not to get too in the weeds here, but like the back end numbers on Spotify are getting pretty crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> so that is so last, cool. I'm just shocked at how many people actually are interested in orchestral music. It's well, it's not what I would have expected. Yeah. I mean, the way it's all put together is amazing. Oh. Well, and the Beatles, of course, you know, how can you? <laughs> <laughs> sure. But I, I did, I want to talk to you about it. We'll, we'll get into it. But yeah, I saw like you, you credit like 500 people, you said. Yeah. So there was a, I can't remember exact number of orchestra, but it was between like 80 and a hundred people in the orchestra by itself. Plus all the engineers from the studio. And then I crowdsourced a choir from my fans that ended up, being about 394 voices um and it's it's crazy just... <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll get into it um but i i want to just yeah find about uh your your little your origin story so to speak you're from chicago originally yes grew up in chicago um loved it miss chicago sometimes i live in nashville now um yeah, but, I saw that. I'm I'm in the Nashville area as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, ri for about six months ago from San Diego. Welcome. I don't know why you left San Diego, but welcome to Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> I love it here, man. It's just like a different different speed of life here, but I really yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. So tell me about Chicago. Are you in the city? No, I grew up in the suburbs north of Chicago, kind of near Evanston. Um, and... Growing up, my dad was a jingle composer. He, you know, worked with huge brands like McDonald's and Nintendo and all these That's amazing so cool. companies. And um, he, you know, I have three sisters, two older, one younger. And when I was a kid, you know, he started doing these kids jingles, you know, like so stuff for Happy Meals and like stuff like that. And uh, the clients just, they wanted kids' voices to sing the jingles all the time. And 
at some point it dawned on him. He's like, well, I've got four kids. Like, why don't they just start singing on this stuff? And so, <laughs> you know, I remember going Put them to work, right. Going to studios at, you know, super young age, just like singing on these McDonald's jingles and all that stuff. And so it was such an amazing upbringing <laughs> to be like a working musician from such a young age. And, uh, kind of grew up with that, had a studio in the house, you know, it was like winning the lottery as a kid, you know, it's incredible. And basically uh, as soon as the jingle business sort of started dying a little bit, cause jingles went out of style. My dad had transitioned already into orchestral writing. And so when I was in my kind of formative years in high school and stuff, he was super passionate about writing for orchestras, was doing a lot of stuff with the Chicago symphony um, and just his passion for it, man. I just remember as a kid being like, he's just having fun all the time. And so I just want to do that. <laughs> right. I want to have fun all the time. And so it was just, work probably worked from home and most of the time. Oh yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was incredible. And just his joy for music was so contagious for me. And uh, it was really kind of a no brainer about what I wanted to do with my life. That's nice. I mean, what a cool career. I always thought that that was, <laughs> I never really thought of it as a, like something that would be, I mean, I'm, I'm not a musician, but like, I always I come back to like two and a half men, like Charlie Harper, the like Chuck Sheen's character. He's like a, a yeah. jingle writer. And I'm like, what a rad job just to like yeah. write jingles. And, um, but to, to grow up with that, that must be, I yeah. would imagine it's obviously a very, very hard uh, space to get into. I think so. It must, it was probably easier at the time because jingles were so popular back in like the late eighties, early nineties, you know? And so I would imagine there was a lot of work to be done and there was just tons of money and music floating around back then. Right. <laughs> Not anymore. Uh, but I, you know, I, he was so good at it. And I think this is kind of the skill that he taught me most of all was like, if you're going to be a jingle writer, you have to be able to do anything because the clients mm -hmm. could come in and say, one day they're like, all right, we want like a Beethoven symphony. And the next day they're like, all right, we want like a Jamaican Calypso. You know, it's, you have to be able to convincingly create whatever genre that the client wants. And so that has sort of rubbed off on me a lot in terms of, you know, when I hear a song, I don't immediately assign my own production style to it. I just say, what does the song want? Like the song is the client. And I say, mm -hmm. what does this song want from from the instrumentation here and from the arrangement. And so that's how I approach like my songwriting now it's from like the arranger's mindset and less of, well, I don't know. Yeah. The arranger's mindset. It's <laughs> interesting. So I would imagine you're classically trained in. I mean, classically it's probably, you know, that's a wide ranging word. I took piano lessons. Uh, I took guitar lessons even for a short time. So I, I do, I read music. I know music theory and all that. Right. I am not good at playing classical music, but I love classical music. Okay. Um, I did a lot of jazz training when I was in high school and a little bit in college. And I went to college for music as well. You went to Belmont? Yeah, I went to Belmont University in Nashville. Um, I don't know how deep in the weeds we're trying to get here, but <laughs> we're going to get in the weeds, but I, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to go back even further. If that's cool with you. So what was it? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you and your sister sang on your dad's early jingles and are they, I'm curious to know if they pursued music at all. Uh, not as careers. They're all wonderful singers and people. Uh, 
but I was the only one stupid enough to try to do this as my job. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they, all, they all got real jobs. They do way better than I <laughs> Got it. Um, and then was does, does dad go, okay, you should all go to piano lessons? Like, was that a thing that was kind of, un, un, you know, you just yeah, did you know, in your household? You know what's interesting, man, is that my parents never forced us to do any of it. It, it was all kind of like, what are we interested in? My two of my sisters were incredibly interested in sports. And so it was like sports every day. Um, and you know, if we wanted to take piano lessons, then that was something that they were definitely open to. And actually I should maybe rephrase in my particular case, I hated piano lessons, but they made me keep going because they could tell I was good at it. Okay. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that they did, but I think for the most part, you know, they wouldn't have forced me to keep going if, you know, I didn't want to do it. You know? Right. So it, it was very kind of, does, we, does, we, it was open to us, but not forced on us. Got it. Did dad teach you piano or did you go to a different teacher? No, I had an amazing, just like <laughs> the most classic, like Russian piano teacher. Her name was Marina. Okay. And she would walk in the door and she'd be like, how you doing boy? And I'm like, hello, Marina. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned from like the books with like the flying pianos on it and stuff. Uh, but I think most of, you know, and she was amazing. She was a great teacher. And, I'm sure put up with me, which was probably not an easy feat, but my dad would also kind of come in and show me, you know, more theory stuff that I wanted to know about pop music. Cause I was learning how to read music and stuff in piano lessons, but I was, I just wanted to be able to play like, you know, the songs I heard on the radio and of course. my dad would come in and kind of be like, all right, here's what a C chord is. You know? Okay. <laughs> and that was so really, he, he that helped. Was great. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was able to answer questions for you. <laughs> obviously. Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So when you get into what middle school, high school, you start playing in the jazz band or what? Yeah. What, okay. uh, I got into jazz band as a piano player. Um, and I enjoyed that. And I, I mean, by my senior year of high school, I think I was taking one academic class called creative writing. And then I was taking six music classes. <laughs> Well, creative writing kind of falls in the same line, right. I would imagine, yeah. right? <laughs> I loved it. I mean, yeah, I was, I, I just kind of, I don't know what happened. At one point I just decided, all right, I'm going to go all in on this. And I was like, I played in, in the jazz band. I played in the guitar ensemble, which was kind of a weird thing we had. Oh, and that's then cool. I sang in the jazz choir. I sang in the musical theater choir. Uh, I volunteered with a thing called high five choir that was for uh, special needs students and just like a singing class. So fun. And That's then cool. uh, also, since I was so interested in orchestration and stuff, the or orchestra director, uh, he was kind enough to let me be in the orchestra, even though I can't play anything. He just put me in the percussion section and said, hey, just like <laughs> come to class observe and you know if i ever had an arrangement i was working on he'd let me bring it in and the symphony orchestra would read it down for me which i mean what a cool thing wow. and so i just sat in the back playing triangle and absorbing orchestral teaching from this amazing orchestra director that's amazing so you were already writing pieces and uh, like in high school like yeah that. i loved it i I was into movies too. And so I love to like make little movies and score them basically, you know, like write music for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I was always interested. I love like John Williams and Hans Zimmer. And, you know, I, I loved movie music and it was always something I wanted to incorporate into what I did. 
was that kind of the path that you wanted to go like more of the music like scoring route or did you want to be a performer songwriter that's a good question i it's you know it's hard to like think back to your mindset in yeah. those days because i feel like in high school you're just like i don't know let's do whatever you're just kind of going with the flow but i think oh man it's tough to say i i loved performing um but i never i don't know if i ever believed that i was gonna like be some arena touring act you know i knew that i needed to develop real sorry i mean <laughs> i knew i needed to develop like skills that i could monetize if i wanted to make it mm -hmm. in the music industry um and so I, I just kind of took the mindset of I'm going to try to figure out how to do as many things as possible, whether it be horn arrangements or string arrangements or production work or vocal tuning or even doing like album artwork or photography or like any way that I can keep doing things that are in the music industry kind of close by to what I want to end up doing just to make me stay in that lane and not have to take a side job at Starbucks or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just I wanted to try to figure out a way I could just keep doing music and kind of make sure I could keep my focus on that all the time. Mm -hmm. So you attend Belmont University. Did you go there? Uh, like, how did you? Like, what was your major when you went into the school? I went into the school as a voice major, and I stayed that way the whole time. I thought, oh, okay, getting in as a voice major would be the best way for me to get in. I was worried I wasn't going to get in. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh, and immediately I just, I knew that Belmont had an, a very unique atmosphere. I don't know. It, it, this was also a special time for Belmont too. It was kind of growing really fast, but it wasn't huge yet. Um, and I visited other schools and it felt like the mindset at some of these other places was like, you either play jazz or you go home. Like, right. kind of like play real music or get out of here. And when I got to Belmont, it was like country music, pop music, indie music. It was just, everybody was so open. It just felt such an open culture of music. And that's what really appealed to me. And I loved my time at Belmont. I miss it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Not all the time, but sometimes. <laughs> you put out a record in 2012, Audio Cinema. Yes. Yeah, was, so. Tell me about that. It's actually it was kind of the first real album I ever made. And it's kind of, we recorded the whole thing, me and my buddy Nico in the house we were living in at the, at the, at the time. And were you still uh, in school at when, or I had you graduated? Still in school. Okay. I actually played the entire record. It's, I think it's only seven or eight songs. I played it top to bottom for my senior recital. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, yeah. Did a lot and, of people play original songs or was that kind of, uh, not done a whole lot? I guess I don't really know. I think it was less common, but not uncommon. So okay. it wasn't like everybody was doing that, but there were other people. Other people doing originals. it. Got it. Yeah. So you play that record as your, as your senior project? Or <laughs> yeah. Senior, for my senior recital. Cause I had to do recital. it as a voice major. So I just played the whole record top to bottom. Um, and yeah, I, I just loved, loved that atmosphere at Belmont. They did these things called the showcases too, which are basically like, little mini arena shows and i got into one of those one year it was called the pop showcase you know and got to play some of my songs like with crazy lights and staging and the whole crew and all that it's just such a cool experience as a student mm -hmm. and once you graduate what what's what's next so the way my path went was you know 
I always tell people about music college in particular, and maybe this applies to all college, is that you're not going to learn things. You're going to meet people because those people become the basis for the rest of your career. <laughs> and so one of those people was this guy, Jake Goss, and he's actually now, he plays drums in the band Laney. He's one of the four oh, wow. of that band. Uh, but at the time, he was playing with this guy, Ben Rector, who was kind of this up-and-coming singer-songwriter at the time who I loved. And Ben was looking for a guy that played keys and guitar, uh, which you'd be surprised. There's not that many people that are super proficient at keys and can also play electric and acoustic guitar. And so the list is kind of short, and he called me to do it. And so right out of college, I joined Ben's band and just went right on tour with him. And I kept touring with Ben for, I think it was over five years and just had some of the most fun I've ever had in my whole life. It was such a great crew. And as I was, you know, I was still pursuing artist stuff as well and doing production and, you know, keeping everything moving. But to work for Ben, I tell people it's like, you know, when you go to Paris and apprentice with like an amazing chef, you know, you just like, there's no amount of book learning you, that you can used to replace just like being in the same room as that chef. And Ben is that way where I got to see him firsthand run his business as an independent artist and the way he handled shows and you know management and all the things that are a part of being an artist. I got to watch someone do it at such a high level and his growth spurt while I was there was crazy. It was like, we started out in a van and trailer and by the end it was like selling out thousands of seats and theaters all over the country. And so uh, it was just one of those amazing learning experiences. You could just never pay for it, you know? <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. It's yeah. like, uh, yeah, exactly what you said. You'd learn more in a, in a room with a chef in that short period of time than you would ever be able to pick up from yeah. just trying to read it out of a book. Yep. And so you were pursuing your solo career or your artist career at the same time or in just probably mainly focusing on that because that was probably paying the bills, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it's kind of funny, man. Like I, I, I'm, I do a lot of different things. I do production, I do scoring work, I, you know, uh, and I was touring with artists for a long time. And uh, it, my artist, my personal artist, thing really never started taking off until maybe like two or three years ago. Um, really? You know, it, it had steady growth and it was going great, but it wasn't like, all right, I can drop this and just do that full time. Um, you know, I maybe could have, but it was like, you know, you'd be living <laughs> in a one bedroom, you know, it's really right, it's right, like right. that type of thing where it's like, yeah. yeah, there's money being made, but it's not enough to like really sustain me and my family. Oh. And so, uh, I was so grateful to have all those other opportunities that allowed me to keep in music and keep going while also being able to like take some of that extra money and put it into making my artist stuff better and better. Sure. And you did American Idol. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, it's, I didn't like stand in line or anything. They just called me and said, will you come audition for American Idol? <laughs> Oh, really? You got the uh, pass. So kind of, I like that. Yeah, it was one of those things that kind of just fell into my lap. And I thought, How did they you find know, you? I just think online. They, they have scouts. Uh, all these, all the vocal shows, they have scouts. They just scour the internet for people who have followings and who might be good fit for the show. And um, so I, I just walked in and got to 
play somewhere over the rainbow for the celebrity judges uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> who at the time were uh, harry connick and keith urban and jennifer lopez that's cool and you passed through the first round obviously i did harry connick loved it keith urban loved it jennifer lopez did he was not it? having it yeah oh. but whatever two out of three means you go to hollywood so <laughs> that's cool so you got a chance to go to hollywood yeah and i guess my stick about american idol is that i've there i've never learned more in such a short period of time I, is that right yeah because when you think about the types of performance experiences that exist at a high level right so it's like the super bowl and i bet you're probably nervous to play the super bowl but by that same token you have tons of people working for you to make sure that everything goes amazing. TV mm-hmm. crew wants it to be amazing. Your band wants it to be amazing. Everybody wants it to be amazing. When you go on a show like American Idol, you are just utterly alone. There is no one there that's going to step in and help you if things start going bad. Yeah, they they so, want stuff to go bad. Right, I exactly. Yeah, I would it's think, like right? They try to create drama. And so <laughs> the mental, like energy it took to be on that show was pretty intense uh and i don't think i would do it again i'm glad that i did it because i now literally you can put me you cannot make me nervous you just put me in any it's like there will never be a situation that's more nerve-wracking than that for me um just being totally out of control about how things are going to go and so on national tv in a live setting like yeah and i got lucky because they they featured me and in a very positive way. So I've, I, it was a great experience and, and everyone at American Idol was so kind and wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. But I, it's just such an intense experience. I, I don't, and, it, and it's not really about music as we all know, it's about TV. That's, that's with a TV show. It's not a music show. So right. I, I, I am glad that I did it because I learned so much, but I don't think I'd do it again. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting who wins you know I, I don't know how much of it's really i mean i don't maybe i'm wrong like voted in by people i don't know i feel right. like they, they they've probably tried for a few years to pick the person that got the most votes and then it was like well then their <laughs> album flops or you know the the guy that gets second or third the record does really well like daughtry or you know some of those other guys that came out of it right. yeah. um but yeah, it's interesting. It's, I don't know. I mean, I only made it to the top. I think I was cut at the top 24. Um, so I, you know, I don't know how it went after. Right, that, right, right. But, but it's just interesting how the whole I thing. I got kinda... really lucky because had I made it one step further, that's the point where you sign all the contracts. So oh, literally really? I made it as far as I could go without having to sign any of the contracts. Not didn't plan it that way. I would have gone, but I just, yeah. Back so at then that they and own and you for a bit, huh? You know, it's, you know, I don't know how it Political. actually shakes out in real yeah. life, but it makes, it makes certain things more difficult. Sure. sure. Especially that as help? an indie artist. You're right, 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 right. From there, from the show, did you, did that, I, I would think that more eyes are on you at this point when you, when you're off the show, as far as your, your solo stuff went? <sighs> you know. Or not really. To be honest with you, man, not at all. I like. Really? No one knows that I was on American Idol. No one comes up <laughs> to me and says, hey you were on American Idol. Everybody comes up to me and goes, hey, I saw you tour with Ben Rector. You know, it's like that's yeah. like the stuff people know about me. Nobody knows I was on American Idol. And obviously, yeah. I don't broadcast it. I'm not trying to trade off of it. But I, I think at that point, especially, ratings were not 
very good. I, they might even be better now, but I think it was like one of the lowest rated seasons of any of them they had ever done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, you get off the show and then you're back to your solo career and you're still touring with, with Brian Rector at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. So I had to miss a couple of shows, I think to do American Idol. But then as soon as I was done with that, went back, kept touring with them. Um, and you know, touring with Ben is really great because he, he was only doing like 40 or so short shows a year. So it's like a uh-huh. fall tour and a spring tour. And in the meantime, you know, I could do whatever I want to do in between that. So, okay. So when you're, you're on the road with him, you're on the road with Ben during just like two seasons during the year and the rest you're at where your house in Nashville working on your own solo stuff. Yeah, basically, or producing for other artists or working on scoring stuff, kind of whatever. I needed to pay the mortgage. <laughs> right, right. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So it was a great situation. And, you know, Ben's one of my best friends. I'm, he's awesome. And so he was always so supportive of me as an artist and giving me great advice. And uh, yeah, I was really glad to do it. And not to jump ahead, but, you know, he asked me to come and open for him as part of this acoustic tour. I saw uh, that. So it was, it was, I was so excited about it. It was Ben and I. So, just me and Ben and I played 30 and then Ben and I played his music about 75 minutes and uh, all these beautiful theaters all over the country we could fly everywhere. It was two shows a week. It was just like the most luxurious tourist schedule you could ever imagine. And we got four shows in and it was March, 2020. And uh, <laughs> that was the end of that. So, Oh man, that was my like, next question yeah. was where was, where were you were when this happened? So obviously yeah. you're on the road by far the biggest opportunity I've ever had in my whole career. And then it was just like Ben and I talk about how it just felt like we were trying to outrun this tidal wave. You know, we were out there on the road. I I remember when everything shut down, Ben was actually in Dallas for one of our shows. We hadn't flown out to meet him yet and they shut everything down and then Ben had to get back. Oh, really? (laughs) I was at home just like having a panic attack because you know, the world was going insane, but were you seeing yeah, man, the shows kind of like dropping off as far as like no, attendance or not? It wasn't even no. like, okay. Everything happened so fast at that time. And since we were only doing two shows a week, it was like, we went out and did two. People were like, "Uh Oh, should we be worried about this? And then the next weekend we did two more. And people were like, yeah, this seems like it's getting kind of real. And then literally like three days later, it was like, everybody stay home. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it got crazy pretty fast and uh, like so fast that we were canceling shows like almost after the shows that already had, it was just like so fast. Um, yeah. But, and what a bummer because it was going to be so much fun. And then we tried to reschedule it and then the reschedule didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Then the reschedule gets pushed back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even like, you know, we had scheduled one show to do in Texas at the end of October and that one got canceled. Let's go. <laughs> Oh, really? That one didn't work out either. So we're still trying to play shows. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So what's, you're at home, you're at home for a year and a half. Is that when you start working on the most recent record you put out? Yeah. So I had been working on it a bit prior. It takes me a long time to make records. I'm the worst, but uh, (laughs) it, I had got it finished finally and then released it in January of 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was pictures of mountains. Mm -hmm. uh and was so stoked about it and i yeah it was just one of it's my favorite thing i've ever done 
And then about one month into promoting this brand new record, I start looking at Spotify statistics and I'm like, what's going on with this song from three and a half years ago? (laughs) (laughs) And you know, the last thing you expect when you're promoting a brand new album is for some the last track on your record from 2017 is just going to go postal (laughs) on some social network that you're not even a part of. You know, I, I didn't even have a TikTok account at the time. And uh, someone had to show me like what was happening because I couldn't figure it out. Uh, and uh, basically overnight, my life changed. I mean, it took about a month for things to like fully ramp, but I've never experienced anything like it in my career. It's TikTok is like, it's like the social media equivalent of a nuclear weapon. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> like when it's about to flow, you better Get out the way. <laughs> Get it's out crazy, the way. man. So you didn't have a TikTok. We're talking about I Hear, I Hear a Symphony. Yeah, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm very curious because I was going to ask you about that. So that song blew up recently over TikTok. And you yeah. don't know what happened. Like what happened? What started the, the flame? I still don't really know. I think... There was a combination of things. I can only guess. This is okay. my guess. my best guess is that um, a couple of K-pop people used it in their radio shows that they have weekly. I guess uh, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I think that kind of planted the seeds in a really, uh, for lack of a better word, aggressive community. Right, <laughs> uh, right. And so once they took a liking to the song it just kind of snowballed and then kept kept getting picked up by bigger and bigger accounts. And uh, yeah, that's my best guess of what happened. I I don't really know, honestly. Did you see the Spotify numbers going nuts and were like, what is going on? And then you had to eventually find out it was through TikTok? Oh yeah, because this is a song, you know, (laughs) I I love the song. I think it's great. It's a great song. Yeah. And you know, it was doing fine for me. It was doing like a thousand streams a day or so back in January of 2020, 2021. And, uh, which I was like, this is, that's fine. It was not in my top five or anything like that. And then one day, just like inexplicably, it just jumped up to 10,000 a day. And I was like, that's weird. And then it kind of chilled there for a second. And then it jumped up to 40,000 a day and just kind of chilled there for a second. And I was like, and then. Did you it think it was like fake? Were you like, what's going on? I, just, I, I was trying to, I was like, did I do something? What, like, is, <laughs> has it been used in some commercial that I'm unaware of? Like yeah. what's going on? Uh, and then when it hit a hundred thousand a day, I was like, all right, I got to figure out what the heck is happening. And um, we were on vacation at the time, my wife and I with actually her family and her brother uh, just in passing was like, Hey man, I saw your song on TikTok today. And I was like, stop, <laughs> show it to me immediately. Yeah. And you're like, what are you like, talking about? He showed me how to search through TikTok and uh, I, I was just, I was blown away. I couldn't believe it. It's like scrolling through just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these fan videos and just, I mean, some of the weirdest stuff you've ever seen. It's incredible. <laughs> the weirdness on TikTok. It's the best. I, uh, and, you know, I, I couldn't, it was like, it boggled my mind. And then it just kept growing from there, man. Like, I, you know, I, it was really completely out of my control. Like I made a couple of TikTok videos just saying like, Hey, I'm the guy who wrote this song, but it wasn't 
I, I, you know, I couldn't really do anything to stop it or promote it. It was just sort of happening. <laughs> yeah. It ended so up you- like, I think peaking at about 400,000 streams a day, which is more than, I mean, it's like almost 10 times my entire catalog streaming numbers prior to that. <laughs> that is so nuts. That just is that nuts. one song, you know? It's crazy that you had a record out and you were you're promoting this record and then something else is doing. You're like, wait a minute. (laughs) People are like, oh yeah, yeah, cool, 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 cool record. But what about this thing? You know. But still, I mean, you still have songs in the new record that I mean, Photograph has almost five million plays, so it's doing well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Things are doing well. I, you know, I, I'm believe me, I'm not complaining. It's the coolest thing ever, and. The fact that it was I Hear Symphony to me was so exciting because to, that's like, that's a song that uh, is really something that I felt like was a unique thing that I can do. And it mm-hmm. wasn't like straight up the middle pop, you know? And so for people to kind of validate that and say, hey, this thing you do, that's a cool thing. You should do more of that. That mm-hmm. was so exciting to me. It kind of gave me permission to like lean all the way in to that thing that I loved anyway, but didn't think could be very commercially successful. Uh, but boy, was I wrong. Was that something that inspired the Beatles cover? Yes. So the Beatles cover is part of this thing I did after the success of I Hear Symphony. I'm, I'm calling it the Symphony Sessions where um, Eleanor Rigby was tracked on a different day, but essentially the pitch of it is it got in the studio with a 60 piece orchestra for an entire day and filmed the whole thing so over the next several months uh we'll be releasing singles as, as well as videos of the live performances with this orchestra um, oh so you did more off. than the one song yes uh so when is this podcast coming out <laughs> uh whenever you want it to come out uh okay as long as it's after next friday uh oh, it's so coming out after next friday after the eighth. Okay. It will be out after they. Awesome. Yeah. So the, the first like proper single from symphony sessions is going to be a collaboration with Ben Rector. He came in and we sang his song sailboat together, which we did kind of every night I was on the road with him. It was just him and I for the encore go on and sing the song. It was always a great moment for his fans. And I always imagined what it might be like to do with orchestra. And so Ben was gracious enough to come in and uh, perform the song together. And so that'll be the first single. And then, uh, I won't give away what, what else I've got going on, but I'm so excited about this project. That is amazing. Is it all covers or there's originals as well? No. Uh, it's So Eleanor Rigby is the only cover cover. Sailboat cover, by cover. Ben Rector is a cover. Um, and then it's a mixture of a couple old songs that I wanted to revamp and then uh, some new original material. That is awesome. So the, the orchestra is in the whole thing, but you said 500 people contributed to the Eleanor Rigby piece. Do they yeah, all contribute so to Rigby, everything on the record or is, this, is no. that a different beast? <laughs> Eleanor Rigby <laughs> was kind of its own thing uh, because I really wanted the choir on that. And the choir is where all the people came from. Is mm-hmm. uh, I, I just had this idea. I loved, I've always loved the song Eleanor Rigby, but I thought the lyric during the pandemic really just kind of took a whole new meaning for me. And so I thought, would it be cool to like uh, kind of personify all these lonely people and get as many voices as I can onto this thing. And so I kind of put out the call to 
my fans just saying, hey, if you've ever wanted to sing on a song of mine, here's your chance. Put together a little sheet music and, you know, choir demo for them. And everybody just sent in their files individually, you know, recording on their iPhone or, you know, maybe they had home studio set up or whatever. But I, I was, I couldn't believe how many people sent in files. And a lot of people would send in like, I sang every single part. <laughs> like 20 files you know like, oh my gosh this is this wild and so uh ended up with a just under 400 tracks of vocals and Did added you those in. yes well i also hired my friend garrett to edit everything oh, i was <laughs> but, gonna say that's a beast boy that was a lot of work yeah yeah you seen the pro tool. i mean is unbelievable uh but added the choir in on top of the orchestra, which we had already recorded. And then my lead vocal and that was Eleanor Rigby. And I, it's kind of been blowing up as well. I, mm-hmm. I can't really believe the streaming numbers that are happening right now for that song, which I thought was, again, maybe I should stop thinking this, but I'm just like, this is such a weird thing. Like <laughs> it's like a, a 90 second orchestral introduction before the vocals even come in. You know, that's like right. the cardinal sin of music right now. <laughs> right. And, it's like, you don't catch it within like four seconds. You're right. over. <laughs> and I just cannot believe the number. It's like the same thing that happened with I hear symphony is happening now with Eleanor Rigby. I just, I don't know, man. It's like, I just need to throw out everything I've learned about the music business. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's, it's definitely taking a whole different turn with, with TikTok and the fact that everyone's streaming songs and just finding stuff on playlists instead of going onto the radio and listening. Like it's just a whole different world of the way people consume music nowadays. It's amazing. I I think it's the most exciting time to be in the music industry Mm because there are just no rules. Mm-hmm. If you I, do something that's unique enough and that it's like everybody can find an audience. It's, and, and that used to be so difficult because there were all these gatekeepers, labels or radio stations or whoever, but now it's just all the gloves are off, man. Like mm-hmm. if you work hard enough, you probably can figure out how to make it in music. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not going to be a millionaire because the money's not what it was, but at the same time, there's never been a better time to make a living doing music. I think. Right. And I think, uh, to that as well is that people are like you're like allowed now to like like 10 different genres of music or instead yeah. of having like like growing up a, like if you liked punk music like you could only like your friends better only see that you were listening to like these 10 punk rock bands or going to these punk rock shows like god forbid they find out that you like you know a destiny's child album or something like, <laughs> Oh, my, you know, now you'll see like a Coachella bill with like Beyonce and tame and Paula. And it's like, right. It's just, you know, the, just the, the genres are just getting so meshed together, which is so rad. I, I think I mean, it's I think. so cool, man. I, I really do. Like, I think Spotify is such an exciting development for the music industry. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I know, you know, people complain about the money and I get that. I, 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 of course, I wish they paid me more. <laughs> right. I mean, but yeah, I, for granted, they should pay more per stream, obviously. Yes. But there is something to be said about the discovery aspect and the ease of which people can find music and listen to it with. Uh, you can just kind of find whatever you want. And there's no it's not like you're shelling out a ton of money to check it out. And that's, I think, something really cool for an artist like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody could take a listen without having to really worry about okay now i gotta put 20 bucks on the cd right. and i might only like one song on the record and yeah then the what? other thing i love about <laughs> it is that 
Spotify is sort of like, uh, it's the difference between a survey of like, how do you, how do best, how best to say this? Sorry. Uh, nice. Spotify is like the id of people's music habits. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not what they tell you they're listening to. It's what they're actually listening to because, you know, back in the day, you know, a record label could buy a million copies of the album and make it a platinum album. And, you know, then people would just assume it's good and it would get played on the radio and, you know, the radio plays it, it must be good. But now you're seeing, okay, no, this is what people actually listen to. It's not what they say they listen to. It's what they actually listen to. And I think that's the coolest part about Spotify. Oh, that's a great perspective. And now label in that same regard, like people know exactly how many plays bands are getting and songs are getting. Yeah. And now it's, you can, like you said earlier, like you could, there's a, there's an audience for everyone and you can make a living or you could have a career as an independent artist without having the the record label. If you're getting a TikTok hit and millions of people are now coming over to your, your page and listening to your songs, like you don't necessarily need a record label to just really distribute anything you're doing anymore. I, I, yeah, it's, it's never been a better time. It was a, a ton of record labels approached me when I hear symphony was blowing up. Um, and I do think record labels get it. They, they've uh-huh. changed their deal structures and uh, things are, I think, becoming more artist friendly. Uh, and I think the record labels are more and more realizing, you know what, let's just let this artist do what they were doing and just like figure out how to help out with it. <laughs> Right, not try right. to control it so much. Sure. And so I think that's that's another so, so empowering for artists to be able to grow your own following first and then go to the people you need help from and say, this is already happening. I'd love your help with this, you know, mm-hmm. which is that just puts you in a great position as an artist. Yeah, you definitely have you have leverage that way instead of them yeah. going, oh, totally. you owe me everything because like I see potential in you, <laughs> but you don't have anything going on. So I'm going to make everything go on for you, but I'm going to take a right. huge cut of all of that. And oh my gosh. <laughs> you can kind of set yourself up a bit nicer now nowadays yeah. with, with their data. Now you can see the data, right? Exactly. There. Yeah. You can't, it's like, you just look at the numbers, man. It's just mm-hmm. math. right it's just math (laughs) i love it well cody man thank you so much for doing this i appreciate your time yeah this is fun i'm glad to do it cool cool i have one more question i want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists oh man uh i love this question and i answer it in many different ways today here's the advice i'm feeling i love it no one is coming to help you (laughs) do it yourself don't wait on that guy to go, Hey, I see potential on you. I'll give you a million dollars. Do whatever you want. It's never going to happen. You can do it. There's so many tools, just like YouTube, how to release music, make it happen for yourself. It's, it's never been more attainable. And you should just go to it.